for those of you who were not with us last Sunday, uh, we have begun a new sermon series entitled Summer Orientation, a 10-week exploration of the passions, priorities, and particulars that give shape to Oaks Church. Uh, The goal of this series is not unlike the summer orientations of many schools or colleges or organizations, we want to foster a clearer understanding of what we believe and what we practice and why. And we also hope to cultivate, Lord willing, a deeper sense of oneness and unity among us. Now, we didn't begin this series last week by jumping right into our passions, priorities, and particulars. Instead, we began by considering scripture itself. Uh, we looked at 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, and we were reminded that in the pages of Scripture, God has communicated to us all that he wants us to know and to believe and to do. And so for that reason, Scripture serves as the foundation for all our passions, priorities, and particulars as a church. The central message of scripture is in fact the atoning death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And as such, Jesus is our utmost passion here at Oaks. In every gathering, in every sermon, in every song, we desire to proclaim who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1 through 11. That will be our passage this morning. And for some quick context, the Apostle Paul wrote this book. It was originally a letter and he wrote the letter to the church at Corinth to address a number of issues that were emerging in their fellowship. He also wrote to answer a number of questions that they had about circumcision and matters of conscience and marriage and spiritual gifts and the resurrection of the dead. And so, needless to say, Paul covers a lot of ground in 1 Corinthians. But as he does, as we'll see in just a moment in our passage, as Paul covers a lot of ground in 1 Corinthians, he repeatedly points the Corinthian Christians back to the person and work of Jesus. I'd invite you to follow along as I read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. This is, of course, Paul writing to the Christians in Corinth. Now I would remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas 
Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, by whom we understand and receive the implanted word. Lord, we would ask that by your Holy Spirit that you would teach us this passage and instruct us by this passage, convict us with this passage, conform us to the message of this passage. Lord, be glorified and may we be edified. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a movie I used to watch as a kid called Little Big League. Uh, in the movie, a teenaged boy named Billy Haywood inherits from his grandfather a struggling Major League Baseball team, uh, the Minnesota Twins. They're still struggling, actually. <laughs> but in the movie... As a lover of baseball, Billy decides to step in and to manage the team himself. And initially, many of the players are upset and, and some of them even walk off the team. But things take a turn for the better when Billy successfully reminds the players of the simple fact that they get to play baseball for a living. Of course... In baseball, there are things to learn and things to practice and things to implement. But the game of baseball is lost when any of those things become the highest priority. We lose sight of the game of baseball, right? Now, <laughs> clearly the book of 1 Corinthians and our passage has nothing to do with baseball whatsoever. But follow me for a second here. Follow me for a second. For the first 14 chapters of this letter, 1 Corinthians, Paul has written a host of instructions. He has addressed sin issues and he has answered questions related to doctrine and to conduct. And there is no doubt these things are important. And yet, in the passage we've just read, we see Paul doing something that he so often does he circles back around to remind the Corinthians and us of the most 
important and essential feature of the Christian faith. Christ crucified and resurrected. That is it. Christ crucified and resurrected. It's not only the central message of scripture, it is irreducibly intrinsic to the Christian faith. Notice, for instance, Paul, the, the emphasis Paul makes in verses 3 and 4. We just talked about Scripture as our foundation last Sunday. Look what he says. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day again in accordance with the Scriptures. The gospel message is at the center of Scripture. And Jesus Christ is at the center of the gospel message. Therefore, we at Oaks Church, Lord help us, strive to proclaim Jesus every day, every week, every month, every year, in every message you hear, every song we sing, every time of fellowship we have, we proclaim Christ, we proclaim Jesus. If you are a note taker, I'd like to consider this passage that we've just read. I'd like to look at two elements about this. If you are a note taker, here are the two. Number one, in Jesus, our greatest need is met. And number two, in Jesus, our greatest hope is secured. In Jesus, our greatest need is met. In Jesus, our greatest hope is secured. Number one, in Jesus, our greatest need is met. In verse one, Paul writes, Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, Adelphos, brothers and sisters of the gospel. In other words, okay, so Corinthians and, and Wisterians, everything that I've written to you thus far is important. There are things you need to believe and do as followers of Christ. But now, now I would remind you of the most important thing, the gospel message that I preached to you when I first came. So here's the thing. What I'm about to tell you again, you've already heard, you've already received it, you've been standing in it, and you are being saved by it. Verse 2. If you hold fast to it and don't succumb to the vain notion that you need to graduate from it into loftier doctrine or some form of higher righteousness. If you think that you need to graduate from the gospel, you lose it. For I delivered to you, verse 3, as of first importance what I also received and that is this Christ died for our sins he died for our sins and he was buried verse 4 and then on the third day he was raised to life and his bodily resurrection was so verifiably authentic that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, verse 5. And then he appeared to the 12 disciples who are now apostles, 
And then he appeared to more than 500 witnesses, most of whom are still alive and are able to corroborate his resurrection, verse 6. And then verses 7 and 8, he appeared to James, that is his own brother who did not believe that he was the son of God. And then again to the apostles. And finally, he appeared then to I, Paul, who write this to you. Christ died and was buried and was raised on account of our sins. Brothers and sisters here in the room, there is nothing more wonderful, nothing more majestic, nothing more lasting, nothing more important than this. Christ died and was buried and was raised for the forgiveness of your sins, past, present, and future. Amen. Amen. The wide path world finds this silly and foolish and even offensive. But the narrow path saints are resuscitated by this news. In Jesus, let me personalize this. In Jesus, your greatest need is met because your greatest need is to be made right with the God you have sinned against. Please understand, I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to me what I'm saying to you. Please understand that your greatest need today is not financial security, it's not perfect health or impenetrable safety or social status or occupational success or material comfort, or blissful experiences, or numerous relationships. Heck, your greatest need isn't even perfect church attendance, or even flawless airtight theology. It's all important. Your greatest need is to be made right with the creator God you have wronged. Me too. And so it is with me. See, the God who created us and brought us into his world did so that we would delight in him, that we would depend on him, that we would dwell with him in relationship, that we would bring him glory by reflecting his goodness and loving kindness throughout the earth and toward each other. It's the purpose for which we were made and brought into this world. But each of us has not only failed to do this, we have refused to do this. Listen to Psalm 14, Psalm 53, and Romans 3, which all tell us the exact same thing. Listen to this. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand any who seek after him, but they have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. Listen to this. There is none who does good, not even one. What a sobering 
reality that you and I and everyone on earth has willfully turned our backs to the God who made us. And we've done so in thought, in word, in attitude, and action. We have all sinned, as scripture makes very clear. And we have all fallen short of our created purpose. And as a result of our sin, this is the case for every living, breathing person on earth the planet, one of two things will happen to each of us on account of our sin. Either we will be removed from God forever or our sin will be removed from us forever. He is a holy creator God and he will not be reconciled with a person marred by sin. Either we will be cast away from him forever or our sin will be cast off of us forever. And this is why we proclaim Christ every day to Sunday. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. He paid our death wage. And there is no longer death and or condemnation or separation from God for those who repentantly trust Christ. If you are in Christ by faith, all your sins yesterday and today and tomorrow, they were pinned to Christ and then Christ was pinned to the cross to absolve you of sin and its punishment. If you are in Christ by faith, you will not be removed from God forever because your sin has been removed from you forever. Jesus has done it. He has done it. It is finished. In the Old Testament scriptures, it says that God's word, when it goes forth, will not return void. That means it will finish what it starts. Isn't it interesting that the incarnate word of God that was sent forth to the cross did not return without accomplishing its, he, he said, it is finished. God's word went forth onto the cross, live and in person. He finished what he came to do. It is finished. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. You are freed from the penalty of sin now in Christ. You are freed from the power of sin by the Holy Spirit who helps you overcome sin. And upon Jesus' return, you will be freed forever from the presence of sin. The penalty, the power, and the presence of sin are no longer an issue for those in Christ. Our greatest need is to be made right with the God we have wronged. And in Jesus, that greatest need is met. Our greatest hope is to be kept right with God. Number two, in Jesus, our greatest hope is secured. All the way at the beginning of this letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians, at the beginning in chapter two, verse two, he recalls the time when he first came to them. And he recalls how he didn't preach anything fancy, 
He didn't speak to them with lofty words of wisdom. He simply preached to them Christ and him crucified. And they were saved. Throughout this letter then, Paul points again and again and again back to Jesus and him crucified. And now in verses 1 and 2 of our passage, he, he does it again. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters of the gospel I've preached to you. Again, just hear him saying, look, you've, you've already heard this. You've already received this. You're already standing in this and you are being saved by this if you hold fast to this. And then he presents to them yet again the gospel of Christ crucified and resurrected. There's something here. And brothers and sisters, may we understand this, that the gospel message is not something we believe only at the beginning of the Christian life before moving on to bigger and better things. The gospel message is to be believed again and again and again and again because only the gospel, only Christ and him crucified can keep us reconciled with the God who created us for his glory. So hear this, hear this. The moment we stop singing and celebrating and remembering that Christ was crucified for our sin and raised for our justification, the moment we move on from the gospel, we make one of two perilous mistakes. Either we start trying to earn for ourselves the right standing with God that only Christ can give us, or we start presuming upon and taking advantage of our right standing that was purchased at a very costly price to Christ. We think to ourselves, well, okay, well, I trust Christ and well, since I've been forgiven and made righteous by him, I don't need to pray against temptation. I don't need to put up a fight against sin. I don't need to confess my sin to God and to a trusted brother or sister. I don't need to strive to walk in obedience. Do you see that logic? When we stop proclaiming Jesus to ourselves and to one another, when we stop singing about and celebrating the gospel, we drift toward earning or spurning. We drift toward trying to earn what only Jesus can give or we start taking advantage of the gift that cost Jesus his life. This is why Paul in all of his letters again and again and again reminds his readers of the gospel, of the gospel. Christ crucified and resurrected. This is why 16th century reformer Martin Luther insisted we need the gospel every day because we forget the gospel every day. 
We need the gospel every day because we try to move on to holier things every single day. More mature things. Loftier doctrine. We need the gospel every single day. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your doing. And you won't finish what God started by your doing. Now, will you walk in it? Absolutely. But Christ, but Christ, but Christ, who is to us justification and sanctification and glorification. None of those things will be sought nor found outside of Christ. Look with me at verses 9 through 11. In these verses, among other things, we see that a right focus on the gospel produces. It produces in Paul here something that I think we need to note for application purposes. A right focus on the gospel produces humility, comfort, hard work, and confidence in the message. And I'll, I'll parse that out with you here. Look at Paul's posture in verse 9. Look at how he acknowledges how unworthy he is to be called an apostle, a messenger of Christ. I mean, unworthy to be called a believer, unworthy to be called a follower of Jesus. Notice how he acknowledges his unworth, his unworthiness. How sweet it is to be in a room of Christians such as this, when each of us knows we don't deserve to be here. How sweet it is to be in a community group of people who know in and of themselves they wouldn't be there. We wouldn't be here. Apart from the unmerited favor of God in Christ, none of us would know him or be known by him. Isn't it refreshing to the soul when you meet and or fellowship with a brother and sis or a sister in Christ who is just simply thankful to belong to Christ? <laughs> Isn't it just refreshing? I'm just grateful to be here. <laughs> I know God and he knows me. Christ crucified and resurrected. Lord, do that in me. Do that in us. Is that you? Do people think, you know, in your community group or after a time of fellowship here in our schoolhouse, do, do people think, gosh, man, that brother is just grateful to be known by Jesus? If that is you, hallelujah. If that is not, as it so often is not me, we got to proclaim to ourselves the gospel. We're here apart from all of our works, not because of them. We know that we're standing in the beauty of the gospel when humility is present. Look at Paul's posture in the first half of verse 10. He has this posture of, of being comfortable in his own skin. He's like, look, I persecuted God's church and in and of myself, I don't deserve to be here. And yet, 
God's grace has not been vainly bestowed to me. I am what I am. I am where I am. I don't have it all together. I don't have the Christian life mastered. I can be nearsighted and I can be farsighted. I haven't arrived anywhere, but I also don't need to pretend that I have. I'm here among you, with you, and for you. I can be, on the one hand, comfortable right where I'm at with a holy discontentment we'll talk about, about working hard. But, but right where I, look, I don't understand that lofty theology you're talking to me about. So be patient with me. I am where I, I'm not going to make apologies. I'm not going to apologize that I'm not further along in my walk, that my patterns of life aren't better. I'm not going to apologize. I'm going to take it to the foot of the cross. But I can, I'm, I'm right where I'm at, okay? And so are you. Man, there is an absolute joy. There's a freedom and a spiritual exhale that comes with being a part of a fellowship of people who all, look, we don't take ourselves very seriously. We take Jesus really seriously. We don't take ourselves very seriously. I am where I am. And by God's grace, I am what I am. And by God's grace tomorrow, I will be walking in a purer righteousness of Christ. Proclaim the gospel to yourself, and I will too. We know we're believing the gospel when we're comfortable right where we are, but we don't stop there. Remember, there's, there's a second part of this, second half of verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me isn't in vain because I worked harder than any of them. Which, so as, as a former persecutor of the church, Paul had a lot of baggage to work through. He had a lot of scar tissue, man. And by the grace of God, one day at a time, he does work through it. He worked harder than anyone else. Among all the apostles, too, he was the only one who was persecuting the church. He had a lot of scar tissue. And by the grace of God, he, he, he did. Now, here's the question of application for me and for you. Are, are, we, are, we, are we working hard at putting on the righteousness that already clothes us? Or rather, growing up into the righteousness that already clothes us in Christ? Are we diligently confessing sin? Are we praying against temptation? Are we reading God's word and saying, all right, Lord, I trust you. Help me to trust you. Show me what I need to do in here that will help me to walk into glorifying you, embracing the good godly life, glorifying Jesus. Show me. I want to do it. We know that we're believing the gospel when all at the same time we are comfortable in our own skin and we're also working hard to put on and to live in the righteousness that Christ has already put on us. Look at Paul's posture of confidence in the message of Christ in verse 11. Whether it was I, he writes, or they. And there was a whole slew of people that first came to the Corinthians. There was Silas and Timothy, Apollos, Priscilla, Aquila, other people. But look, whomever it was, Paul is reasoning here, whoever it was that preached the gospel to your ears, <laughs> you heard it, you received it, you were changed by it. 
You are rescued in it. You're standing upon it until the return of Jesus. The message of Christ crucified and resurrected is mighty to save. This morning, I was up early on Sundays as I usually am. My wife came into the room and said, how do you feel about your message? And I said, eh, it's just okay. I, I, there's a lot of holes, and there always is, but eh, it's okay. And then I sat back down as I was working through this, and I saw Paul's confidence in the simple proclamation of Christ crucified and resurrected, and I was immediately convicted, and then built up. You know what? No, I have actually an amazing sermon to deliver because it's not my own. It's just the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do we believe this? Do we believe in the absolute potent power of Christ crucified and resurrected? Do we believe it when we're talking with our neighbor? our coworker, our classmate, those people who we suspect they're on the fringe, they claim to be believers, or maybe they don't at all. Do we think that we have to have some sort of lofty, wise, theological presentation, or can we just say, look, like Paul in 2 Corinthians 2, or 1 Corinthians 2, chapter, uh, verse 2, I, 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 I didn't come to you with lofty words of wisdom. I, I, Christ he was crucified for your sin and he was raised to life so that you would be justified and by his spirit sanctified and glorified and we all need that and here it is. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. And do we believe, do we believe that that right there is the power to save and to keep, to save us and to keep us? Holy smokes. So at Oaks, Jesus is our highest passion. We proclaim Jesus that we might be safeguarded against this vain notion that somehow we graduate from the gospel into loftier doctrine or higher righteousness. We need to be guarded against that. Our greatest need is to be made right with the God we've wronged. Jesus does that. Our greatest hope is to be kept right with the God we have now been reconciled to. Jesus does that. In Jesus, our greatest need is met. Our greatest hope is secured to the glory of him who saves sinners and makes us righteous. I'm going to pray to close out our time. And as I do, uh, we're going to enjoy the Lord's Supper this morning. I'm very excited to welcome to the stage Carl Rehm one of our Oaks members and community group leaders, and Carl's going to come forward, and he's going to introduce to us and welcome us to the Lord's table. So as I pray, Carl, you're welcome to come up, and we'll enjoy the Lord's Supper together. All right, let's pray. Father, help us Help us to know to the best of our ability what we have in the person and work of Jesus. Let it be that we never think of ourselves as 
deeper than the gospel, higher than the gospel, graduating into farer reaches of wisdom and knowledge and asceticism and Lord, keep us anchored and tethered. Lash us to the mast that is Christ and him crucified and resurrected. And may it be to our keeping and may it be to our neighbors and coworkers and people in the city of Worcester to their saving all for your glory and all for our joy in Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.